Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the best of Morning Drive with Dietrich and White. An on-demand audio presentation of RedPeachSports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's today's show. Good morning, North Louisiana. What up? How goes it? Aaron here in the Caldwell Banker Group One Realty Studio in West Monroe on this lovely Friday morning. Sitting in, guest co-hosting with me this morning, the coach. Jack Thickpin. It's been a while, Coach. How are you doing this morning, well, bud? Good morning, Aaron. I'm certainly glad to be here with you again. It has been a while since I've been here, but uh, uh, time goes by pretty fast, and uh, just glad to be back. Uh, this should be fun. Over the next uh, two hours, you can join the conversation on the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline slash text line. Give us a holler or text us at 888-993-7762. Plenty to discuss over the next uh, two hours, plus a little history lesson. I always love having Jack in because uh, you survive, you provide some uh, rich stories. Well, I've been around a long time. I've seen a lot. You know, there's not too many listeners that have, have been around here as long as I have, but uh, I always enjoy sharing some of the stories that uh, I've seen down through the years. And we'll talk a little uh, hoops uh, a little in, later in the show and also coaches that continue to make a difference in Northeast Louisiana and across this country. We start with some headlines this morning. Uh, you into the World Cup yet, Coach? Well, a little bit, not not too much. But, uh, yeah, I'm not really – I can't really grasp the soccer too much. I enjoy it, but I have, there's so many things going on out there that I really don't understand. But I think the more you watch it, the better you understand it. And, boy, it's a worldwide game, though, isn't it? Everybody's into it worldwide. So over the course of your illustrious career, of course, in the high school and college ranks, and I know you dabbled at a couple other sports besides basketball, soccer was never a part of that. No, no, it really wasn't. Uh, you know, of course, as a matter of fact, back when I was growing up, there was no soccer, <laughs> <laughs> except maybe across the pond, as they say. But around here, nobody played soccer. You know, now, of course, it's all the little kids starting to play soccer all over the country, and, you know, which I think is great because it's a, it's a great sport for physical fitness, running. Everybody gets involved in it. You can play no matter what size you are. You don't have to be big and strong and all that kind of stuff to play. So I, I think it's a great sport, particularly for young people to get started in athletics but back uh, when i was going through there was no soccer nobody even knew what it was world cup is underway there was three games yesterday nothing really noteworthy that i could tell there was 10 total goals scored today though it gets a little exciting we got portugal versus spain coach i've said i'm gonna make a, a more of an effort to check out the world cup this year just considering i feel like i need to well, you do. You do. You know, you. you. What about you? You don't need to? <laughs> well, I'm not going to be back on the show to talk about <laughs> soccer, so, but you need to keep up with what's going on. <laughs> uh, U.S. Open continues, and right now uh, the golf course continues to win. We had this long argument uh, yesterday and, of course, over the last week. Do we want to see a course that challenges the world's best golfers, or do we want to see them out there with some shot-making skills and put up some ridiculous numbers? Well, 
We, we got the answer in this U.S. Open is they continue to struggle. Uh, the highest U.S. Open average in 25 years. 29 players failed to break 80 in the first round. Their first round scoring average was 76.19. What made this uh, kind of compelling to watch was just a lot of the big names, of course, were struggling yesterday, and a lot of them will be packing their bags after today's round and be heading home, including probably Tiger Woods as he was eight over through the first round. And, of course, uh, he has his yacht sitting out there. So much for that yacht giving him a decided advantage, Coach, uh, for this U.S. Open. Well, it, it certainly is a is a tough course they're playing, no question about it. And, of course, Tiger, he, he captures the golf attention no matter where he is. Uh, it seems like every, that's the first thing people talk about when they talk about the golf is Tiger. How did Tiger do? Is Tiger coming back? You know, this and that and the other about Tiger. So I think it's good for golf to at least have him playing again and uh, people can talk again about it. But before you get off of golf, yeah. You know, there's a big tournament going on at Squire Creek right now. Yes. The uh, 46 Southern Junior Championship going on. Uh, young people, I think it's like 14 to 18 years old, 15 to 18 years old. I think men or young men, they're out there at Squire Creek playing from all over. Uh, I was talking to a guy the other day. He was telling me they had a, a young man from Dallas who's about 15 years old and 6'6". Six, six playing golf i said he's in the wrong sport he needs to be in the gym but uh it kind of reminds me you talking about little little stories uh kyle williamson a defensive ta- uh, tackle for uh, kyle williams williams yes yeah, williamson his uncle uh, is a barber over in ruston cut my hair for a while and listen kyle was in junior high and early in his high school career and the barber was a big golfer and of course kyle was playing baseball and playing football and the the golfer who was his uncle kept telling me, he said, I keep telling Kyle he doesn't need to be playing football. He doesn't need to be playing baseball. He needs to be out on that golf course because if he would really work at golf, you know, he could make some money playing golf. He doesn't need to be playing football. Well, of course, Kyle didn't take his uncle's advice, thank goodness, and he's making a ton of money playing football now for the Buffalo Bills. But a great sport and a great tournament going on out there at Squire Creek. I filed Kyle around for a, a, a round one day, and just for a big man, the touch that he had around the green, of course, he could crush the ball also. I think he's near a, a scratch golfer right now. Kyle Williams, of course, uh, his mini camp's wrapping up with uh, Buffalo. In terms of the U.S. Open, right now they are underway. Russell Henley now leading the way. He's off early on the course. He is two under for the day, three over for the tournament. The big story in the first round besides, of course, the conditions of the U.S. Open, Dustin Johnson, the world's number one player, with a solid round. He uh, was one under through the first round. He was tied with three others for first place. Some of the big names that I mentioned, Jordan Spieth, a 78, the worst score in the majors that uh, he has had. He triple bogeyed the, the second hole, got off to a horrible start. He's playing with the McRoy Mickelson. Those three unbelievable golfers had a combined uh, score of 25 over. What was weird about a lefties round, Phil hit 13 of 14 fairways, so you think that would have produced some low scores for him, but uh, it did not as uh, he could only convert on nine of the 18 greens, only had one birdie on the day. As for Tiger, he got off to a, a horrible start as he opened up with a triple bogey and then, of course, followed that up with a bogey. So uh, he was four over through two holes, something us weekend hackers, of course, are accustomed to. Uh, Local tie-ins, Sam Burns, of course, over there in Shreveport. He continues to uh, have an impressive rookie campaign. 
He had birdies three of his final five holes, including on number 18. He had a 418-yard drive, Coach. Wow. That's, that's hitting it, isn't it? Yeah, he finished wow. uh, the first round uh, tied for sixth place. Uh, he is back on the course. He is uh, one over for the day. Right now he's dropped back a little bit as he is two over for the day, of course, and uh, is tied for 12th place. The cool story we had on yesterday, Roy Lang from the Shreveport Times, uh, caddying this week for uh, Philip Barbare, a former bird product over there in Shreveport. They've had a long relationship. Of course, Roy, a very good golfer in his own right, uh, covering Philip Barbare. So he said, hey, can you be on my bag for the U.S. Open? They got off to a, a pretty good start. They were just two over through the first nine holes, but unfortunately for Roy and uh, Philip, five bogeys, a double bogey, a triple bogey in the last nine. They kind of fall back, and they are now at 143rd in the uh, 156-man field. One of the best stories or one of the worst stories of the day uh, featured the amateur, uh, Scott Gregory. Coach, he shoots a 92 Plus 22 on the day. That is the worst score ever in an opening round in the U.S. Open. If you're Scott Gregory, do you limp back out there today and try to finish this thing out? Oh, I think you do. You don't quit. You keep going. And, you know, that's just one of those days. He had one of those days, and he'll remember that for a long, long time. But uh, he'll probably get it together. If he if he's playing in that tournament, right. he's got to be a good golfer. Driving home last night, continued to hear broadcasters, and they were like, well, you know, I could shoot a 92 in those conditions and on that course. Easier said than done. Yeah, there's no question about it. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure on those guys. And, uh, you know, like we say, even the best have days like that, uh, whatever they're doing. And so he'll, he'll recover. Uh, we had a lot of good golfers out there, a lot of great golfers. So hit us up at 888-993-7762. Would you like your odds to shoot – 92 or better in those conditions on that stage and with that pressure. What says you at 888-993-7762? A couple other headlines. We are your Houston Astros headquarters, and, boy, the Astros continue to put up some impressive wins. They win yesterday 7-3. They have now won eight straight. They are 45-26 and overall. They are in first place by a half a game over Seattle. Other baseball news and notes from college baseball. We certainly look forward to the start of the College World Series. Coach Thigpen, you're going to be all in on the College World Series. I do enjoy that. I really do. And I watch some of the uh, the regionals and the super regionals, and I do enjoy baseball. And I enjoy that college baseball, particularly when you get down to this point of the, the season of College World Series. And I'm excited to, to be watching that this next week or so. Your pecking order, your viewing habits for this weekend. College World Series over top U.S. Open, over top the World Cup? <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, <laughs> they do. Uh, you know what they say? Baseball is uh, apple pie and, and my mom and all that kind of stuff. It's the American game. And, of course, I grew up playing baseball, as a lot of these guys that are listening did and, and still have a lot of interest in baseball. And I'm sure that that's going to trump the other sports that are on television, for me anyway. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles received their rings yesterday. The players told management they wanted the biggest, the blingier, and the, the, the bigger, the blingier, the better. Uh, they certainly obliged. 219 diamonds in this ring with 17 sapphires. Sass, sass, Easy for me to say. Wow. You got to be a big guy just to put that on your <laughs> finger. You know, my goodness. Of course, most of these guys won't wear that ring. They'll go put it in a safe deposit box somewhere or maybe display it in a display case at their home. But 
How, can you imagine how much money was spent on those rings? Because they don't give just the players rings. Yeah. You know, everybody in the organization gets rings, and the scouts and the, the secretaries, and, you know, just everybody gets rings. I would like to know how many rings they bought and how much money was spent on those rings. Doug Peterson certainly wants them to put it to rest. He says it's time to put it to bed, that world championship, and move forward. That's what you would kind of expect from the head coach. There are a few of the headlines. If we missed one or two, certainly hit us up at 888-993-7762. It's all part of the starting lineup brought to you by Louisiana Pancake. The starting lineup. Are you crying? The starting lineup. Are you crying? Starting lineup. Are you crying? The starting lineup. There's no crying. Let's get to the starting lineup. Love having Jack in this morning. We're going to talk a little uh, basketball, of course. We're going to go into his expertise. Where should we now put LeBron James? This should be fun. I look forward to picking your brain. I hope you're ready. Well, I, I, I have some answers. I don't know if everybody will agree with me, but we'll see. We look forward to that. Coming up at uh, 745, our old buddy Rick Mocklin, our horse racing expert, will join us. So what does it now mean that we have another Triple Crown winner and Justify, the 13th ever is this, uh, how does horse racing capitalize on this? Were you all in? Were you watching? Well, I did watch that. I sure did. As a matter of fact, uh, I probably would have forgotten about it, but my daughter and granddaughter were visiting at our house on Saturday, and they were all in it, and we were sitting there, and they all of a sudden said, ooh, we got to turn over and watch the horse race that's coming on, and so we did, and of course, watched Justify win that horse race, and it was exciting, and you know, it's like uh, people repeating for championships and that sort of thing. It kind of captures that sport at that time, and it did capture the racing world to have another Triple Crown winner. It doesn't happen very often. Rick Macklin will join us at 745. I'm sure we'll talk a little wrestling with him also. Coming up at 8 o'clock, have you ever heard of this guy, Dave Nitz? Uh, Seems like I've heard of him somewhere. Hmm. He's been around a little bit, hasn't he? He's one of these old-timers, isn't he? How far back do y'all go? Well, let me see. He moved into a house right next door to me in 19, probably 75, maybe, something like that. He's That's neighbor? First. He was my next-door neighbor for about four years. He borrowed like sugar that. all the time? Well, he did occasionally. He would Most of the time, if I was cooking something on the grill and he smelled it, here he came across. Or if I had a basketball out in my driveway shooting, here he would come. But uh, we got to be real good friends, and he had two ch- Two children, three children, two guys and a and a, and a girl, and uh, they played with my two. So uh, the, our kids were at each other's houses all the time, and uh, we were there with them a lot, and we got to be real good friends. Great guy. In a game of horse, and we've heard about his shooting prowess. Uh, is it overhyped a little bit about how good Nitz could shoot back I, in the day? Well, I'm going to tell you what. You look at him, and you just don't think he can shoot a basketball, but that guy can shoot it. I, I, I can attest to that. He can really shoot. The basketball, at least he did back in the day. Now, I haven't seen him shoot in several years, but he, he had kind of an unorthodox shot. He shot it kind of from the hip, uh, like he was a gunslinger, you know, coming off that hip. But, but And he got a lot of arch on the ball, but it would hit nothing but the bottom of the net. You had to give him a lot of room, you know. He wasn't real fast. If you guarded him real back in the day, if you really got on him and guarded him, I don't know if he could get his shot off, but evidently people saw him and backed off, and then he started making them. He could really shoot the basket. I love this. Coach breaking down Nitz's shot. That's good. <laughs> the Hall of Famer Dave Nitz will join us around uh, 8 o'clock or so. going to pick his brain about several things. He's got to be going through minor league baseball withdrawal, right? Well, he is, and you question about it. Uh, He's done minor league baseball for years, and I don't really know how many years, but a number of years, and uh, he's not doing it this summer, 
And I talked to him yesterday on the phone, as a matter of fact, and asked him, if was he going in withdrawal symptoms? And he said, yes, he said he was. He said, as a matter of fact, I told my wife, that I looked at my watch the day before at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I looked at my wife and he said, do you know, if, if it had been any other year, I would have been in a ballpark right now somewhere in this country getting ready for a baseball game. And instead, I'm sitting in this living room. <laughs> he would rather be at the ballpark. 50 years of the Joe Louisiana Tech did a pretty cool thing, putting together the 50 best players that played in that stadium. Uh, we'll kind of go through the list. Of course, they've added 18 names that uh, fans voted upon. So we'll take a walk down memory lane with Coach Thigpen and Dave Nitz coming up at 8 o'clock. Got a couple texts here. Gary, you're taking a having fun with you, Coach. Says, did Coach Thickpin ever play with Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb? <laughs> well, they were just ahead of me. I came in right behind them. I did, and of course, I wasn't good enough to play with them. But, you know, I watched them play. And I can't say I watched them play on television because I didn't have television back in those days. I was listening to Louisiana Tech broadcast, uh, and they are playing Rice, and uh, Nitz made a reference to Casey Stengel and how yeah. Graham looked a lot like Casey, Casey Stengel. Stengel. And I was like, oh, how many people out there knew that reference? Yeah, exactly. Well, I did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to have fun over the course of the next hour and 45 minutes. Please join us at 888-993-7762. We're back after this. Welcome back to the show. Got a couple of uh, texts here. We asked... Uh, Great golfers out there, if they could shoot a 92 in those conditions at the U.S. Open. Tommy says a 10 to 15 handicap golfer, which is basically uh, most weekend golfers, would shoot about 120. Plus, playing the down on that brutal course would not help their cause. Matt Reynolds, of course, who filled in on the show uh, for quite a while, uh, I remember back in the day he made some outrageous remark. It was either the Masters or the Open said he could go out there and shoot an 85. I hit him up this morning. I said. You still think you could break a 92 in those conditions? And he actually fessed up and said, no, he would not have been able to yesterday. Well, at least he's being honest. Yes. The first time. 888-993-7762. Jack Thigpen is in this morning. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, A little uh, update on Jake Martin and, of course, uh, his precious little baby daughter, Emerson. They continue to be in the hospital over there in Shreveport. Your thoughts and prayers, of course, should be with them. Uh, There was some good news, though, yesterday. I think for the first time in uh, 17 days, uh, Emerson does not have a needle in her, so there's progress being made. And Jake is hopeful that perhaps today or perhaps tomorrow, Emerson and, of course, the Martin family will be coming home. Well, I certainly hope so. That's just devastating when you look forward to having a your first child. You get all excited and then some complications hit. It's just got to be devastating on them, Jake and his wife and the family. But uh, certainly our prayers are with them, and I certainly hope that uh, – She'll be home, and they'll be home with their precious little baby here before long. We uh, certainly are happy that uh, Jack is in here this morning. I want to pick your brain about a number of things, Coach. And uh, let's start, of course, with some hoops, your expertise. Uh, Were you all invested? Were you fully invested in uh, the NBA playoffs this year and, of course, the finals? I did. I did enjoy it. I'm not a a real big NBA watcher or a big fan during the course of the regular season. Of course, I'd rather watch college and high school ball during the course of the year. Uh, but then once the playoffs hit and the college and high school and all are over with, and I'll start tuning in. And, and I enjoy the way that Golden State plays. Uh, I was pulling for them, and a lot of people say, well, they got so many great players and this and that and the other. And that's true. But just the way they play the game, they share the ball, uh, and they got a lot of players, and I like their style of play. And for that reason, I enjoy watching them play. And, a but great I did. team. A I great enjoy. team. A team for the ages. 
Golden I State. think it's going. I think it's got to be in there. You know, you, they got to do a little bit more. Uh, they're just getting started. Uh, if you can compare that team with other teams in the, you know in the past, but uh, you know, I think there's there certainly are uh, are certainly the, the best now, obviously, and and they will go down in history as one of the best. An incredibly uh, uh, tremendous outside shooting team to to be able to watch that, and uh, as a coach, what that must be like. But knowing you live and die by the three ball. Well, you do live and die by the three-point ball, and, uh, you know, it can hurt you a lot of times, but and it does. Uh, even Golden State sometimes, you know, Seth Curry's off a lot some nights where he can't make one. But, you know, you got Clay Thompson that can shoot it. you got Seth that can shoot it. And then arguably, in my opinion, one of the best basketball players playing right now, Kevin uh, Durant, I mean, he's just phenomenal. You know, seven foot, bringing a ball down the floor, playing like he was a guard out there. So there's so many different weapons and then you got Draymond Green, who a lot of people maybe not like him because of his attitude, and I wish he would tone it down a little bit, but he's such a competitor, and he brings that competitive spirit to that team. And, you know, he battles you on defense. He'll battle you on rebounds. He does the little things that people may not see that causes that team to rise to a different level. So there's so many parts to making a championship team, and Golden State's just about got all the parts. There wasn't much drama, of course, in the NBA Finals. Golden State takes care of of Cleveland four to nothing. So basically, you're saying you start watching the NBA when they start playing defense. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, you're right. You know the NBA season is so long; it's so wear and tear on these guys. The travel is terrible. Uh, you know, it's just hard to get up to play every night and the way they, they play and so forth. And I think some of the teams kind of, I hate to say this, but I don't think they put their full effort in during the course of the season. Uh. Uh, and But then when it gets down to the playoffs, that's a different game. You know, they step their level up. They play a lot better. They do play better defense. And I think it's more enjoyable for me, anyway, to watch when when the playoffs start. You know more basketball than all of us. And, of course, uh, and you've certainly seen more hoops than we have. Everybody wants to put into historical perspective what LeBron James has done over the course of the last uh, decade or so. As you watch his game, and, of course, comparisons are being made, where do you see LeBron? Well, when you say off the last, last decade, I mean, he's got to probably be the best. But when you start talking about through the history of the NBA, you know, let me let me mention a couple of things yeah. here. First of all, you got to remember that back in the, in the, the 50s and in the 60s, there wasn't a lot of television. People didn't see the game as much. And at that time, it was more about winning championships. The teams were not concerned about individual scoring as much as they were about winning championships. You know, you'd look at the Boston Celtics back in the early 60s and late 50s, and, of course, through the 60s, I guess. They won 11 NBA championships. They were not on TV, but I can remember that I would go every day to the to the newspaper, and they would have the box score of the NBA games in there like they do baseball now, and I would look. And almost every night there would be five guys, sometimes six, maybe even seven guys in double figures for the Boston Celtics. Listen to this now, and I'll get off of this in a minute. But Boston Celtics, here are the lineup and what they scored. Bill Russell averaged 15 points a ball game and 22 rebounds a game. Bob Cousy was on that team, averaged 18 points a ball game. John Havlicek came off the bench. He averaged 20 points a ball game. Sam Jones, a guard, averages 17 points a ball game. Tommy Heinsohn averaged 18 points a ball game. 
A.C. Jones comes in, averages seven points a ball game. You've got five, six guys averaging in double figures. So any one of those guys could have maybe scored 40, 50 points, but they were more concerned with the team and winning and sharing the basketball. So nowadays it's a different game. Jack, they they, we always that. talk about the super teams now. I mean, you just rattled off those names and, and the parity that wasn't in the game then that we have now. Well, it wasn't, but you didn't. You, but you didn't. In a way, it wasn't as watered down. You didn't have as many teams in the NBA, so you know each team was was really good. Uh, then let's, let's jump to another situation here. Back in those days, these guys weren't getting paid that much. They had to have jobs in the off season just to make money. They didn't train like the guys train now. As a matter of fact, when I was growing up, and probably up, and I don't really know when it got started, but when I was growing up, basketball players and baseball players did not lift weights because the theory was that it would hurt your shot, it would hurt your your swing in baseball or be, be able to throw the ball in baseball. So those guys did not lift weights. So they didn't train like these athletes do now. But you take these guys that I just mentioned you put them on a training regiment where they didn't have to have a second job. They made enough money where they could spend their off time in the gym, you know, four or five hours a day. They were lifting weights all year. They were in that gym working on their quickness and their agility and all that. What kind of athletes would they have been? So, you know, it's hard to compare. You take a compare LeBron James to a John Havlicek, and John Havlicek played the game without ever lifting weights, without ever training that much as far as that that part of the game I had to have a second job in the off season and you take lebron james who lifts weights all the times in the gym every day all year you know it's hard to compare those time those players so i think you got to kind of look at how these guys did at the time that they played mm-hmm. and then also what is your criteria for the best player mm-hmm. is it points is it the guy that scored the most points does that make him the best player what about the guy that had the most rebounds is he is he considered the best player how about the team, the guy that did everything? Well, LeBron did points. all those, though. Do what? <laughs> LeBron does all those. Well, he does. But I want. I, wait a minute. I'm gonna compare him with what what the other right. guys did. What about winning championships? Mm. Does that? But does that make it that criteria to be a champion? Mm. Winning championships. How about assists? Mm. You know, I you know I don't know. You know what? What? How is your criteria? What is your criteria for? All right, you mentioned. Let's go to real quick. Uh, we got Ronnie on the uh, Stuart Shelby Goosehead Hotline. Ronnie, right. what's on your mind this morning, bud? Hey, I got a question for Coach. Um, what do you think when you hear um, today uh, a player called a two-way player? Back when I was growing up, those were called basketball players. <laughs> That's a good point. That is a very good point. You know, I'll tell you a really quick story about that. You talk about two-way players. Charles Barkley. Uh, told, well, Scotty Robertson, and, of course, he coached in the NBA for a long time, former Tech player. He was an assistant coach with the Phoenix Suns when Charles Barkley was playing for Phoenix, and he tells this story that Charles Barkley was playing against somebody. I don't remember who he was, but whoever Charles Barkley was playing against was scoring on Charles. I mean, every time he'd get the ball, the guy would score, the guy would score. They called timeout. They come to the bench. Cotton Fitzsimmons was the head coach. He looks up at Charles Barkley and says, Charles, you're killing us out there. You've got to play defense. This guy you're guarding is killing us, man. You've got to play defense. Charles Barkley looked up at Cotton Fitzsimmons and says, Coach, do you want me to play offense or do you want me to play defense? He said, I can't do both. And so, you know, that's what that's what it is nowadays. It seems like they either play offense or defense. But basketball players, I agree with you. They play offense. They play defense. They rebound. They, they do a lot of things. All right. Thanks, Coach. 
Good call there from uh, Ronnie. Good yes, question. Yes, it would. It would. Very good call. All right, but we talk about scoring leads. You said that LeBron James, uh, you know, was one of the top scorers. Yeah. Leading scorers for a season. Now, who's had the top score average for one particular season? You know where LeBron James ranks in the NBA? Uh, 20th. 36th. Go back to Wilt Chamberlain. Some guys don't remember who Wilt Chamberlain was. Seven-footer, played for Philadelphia. He actually played for the Lakers and won a championship. He averaged 50 points a ball game in 1961-62. He had, he had years of 44 points a game, 38 points a game, 37 points a game. Michael Jordan, 37 points a game. Rick Barry, 35 points a game. And LeBron James averaged 31.3 points a ball game. Now, that is amazing that he did that. But, that, I mean, had a season where he averaged that. Yeah. As far as career is concerned, LeBron James ranks fourth. Michael Jordan, the leading – this is per average now, not points for the for his career, but average for his career. Michael Jordan averaged 30.1 points a game and 15 years of playing. Wilt Chamberlain, 30.07 in 14 years. Elgin Baylor. Played the Lakers 27.3 in 14 years. LeBron James averages 27.1. Kevin Durant 27.1. So you you look at that, you know, there's a there's a difference. You talking about scoring? How about championships won? Let's take a timeout coming okay. up next. We'll dive into that. As I can tell, Jack's getting a little fired up <laughs> <laughs> when we try to compare generations. Was is LeBron? Should he be considered? The greatest player ever, or at least one of the top five. That coming up after the break, you can weigh in at 888-993-7762. Welcome back to the Morning Drive. Aaron hanging out with the coach, Jack Thigpen, this morning. I'm trying to poke the bear, and I think I it's working. <laughs> well, you get me riled up here a little I bit. Know. Not riled like up. It. Maybe not riled. That's probably not a good word. But I love to talk about this and love to compare. And I guess, you know, you're, you're a product of your environment. You're a product of where you grew up. And uh, and people my age can go back to the to the '60s and the late '50s and look at the NBA and all those great players and down through the years. And people nowadays, you know, they they can't see that they don't have that perspective. Get caught because up in the moment. They get caught. Yeah, that's a good point. Get caught up in the moment. And LeBron James, and no question, LeBron James is an outstanding basketball player. He's a great, just a physical specimen, as we talked about off the air. He's just such a you know physical person and, and he's just a, he's worked hard he's got great work ethic he's improved his game he shoots the ball well and you've got to rank him as one of the best but when you start comparing a guy that played in the 60s to a guy that played now you know it's just almost like you, you know you can't hardly compare them uh, before we but, get back to, to LeBron and trying to compare him to some of the the all-time greats uh, Daryl has a question on the Stuart Shelby Goosehead hotline slash text line he says, uh, ask uh, Coach, what player from Summerfield played pro ball for the Cincinnati Royals? Ooh, from Summerfield. Oh, are we going to stump them? We're going to play oh, stump the coach game I, here? I guess so. Cincinnati yeah. Royals. Oh, my goodness. Do you have the answer? Uh, yeah, he gave us the answer. Gave I didn't have it. I, well, you, you do now. <laughs> yes. Tell me. Uh, Bishop? Charlie Bishop. Well, he actually got cut. He did get drafted by the Cincinnati Royals. That's a great question. Seven-footer from uh, from Summerfield, came to Louisiana Tech, had a great career at Louisiana Tech, got drafted by the Cincinnati Royals, went up there. And uh, he may have played for a little while. I don't know. He didn't play very long in the NBA. But you're right. That is a great, great question. And uh, 
Super. I like this game. Uh, Stump the coach. Oh, my God. Stump Coach Thigpen. Hit us up. 888-993-7762. Should have known that. Should have known that. You're doing your research over there, and we're making comparisons with LeBron. What other player from the past uh, can make a solid argument? Okay, how about we talked about how what, what's your criteria for for you know classifying great players? One of the things is championships won, and that's always brought up. You know, won championships. Listen to this: Bill Russell played in the, for the Celtics back in the fifties and sixties. He played in the NBA for thirteen years. He won eleven NBA championships in thirteen years. His supporting cast was a little better, though. Well, than his supporting cast was better. You're you're exactly right. I, I agree with that. But nobody, in my opinion, nobody wins championships unless you have a pretty good supporting cast. And you know, another thing is the way the game is played right now. It's spread out. Give the ball to LeBron. Everybody stands, and he plays one on one. If they played the game the way the Celtics played it in the '60s. LeBron James might not have those 40-point games and 50-point games, but those other guys on their team may increase their average, and they may even be better players than what we think they are. They don't get a chance sometimes to score and shoot and do other things because LeBron's doing everything. So, you know, to me, we've taken a team game and individualized it, and I think it needs to get back to the team game. But then you, you look at those Celtics teams, you know, Sam Jones won 10 championships in 12 years, and you can just keep going right on down the line as the Celtics won 11 championships back in those days. But then, now listen to this, here's one. How many championships has Robert Horry won? Seven NBA championships in 16 years. Uh-huh. He won two with Houston, three with the Lakers, and two with the Spurs. So when you start comparing championships, there's a guy. Michael Jordan, we all talk about, has won six championships, and everybody thinks he's won the most there is. But then we go back and we look at all those Celtics guys that won nine, ten, you know, eight championships during those years. There are actually four guys that have won six championships. Bob Cousy for the Celtics back in the day. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar won. Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen all won six championships. And then there's several guys that have won five championships, including Magic Johnson, Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr. How about him for the Bulls? Won three with the Bulls and two with the Spurs. Well, LeBron could certainly help his numbers if he just leaves and then goes and joins and becomes a a mega team, whether it's in Houston or Philadelphia or L.A. Yep, no, you're right. You're You're right. And and I I can sense that you're pulling for LeBron James as one of the top. (laughs) No, I just like poking you, Coach. That's all I'm doing. No, I no, I agree. I agree. You've got to have a supporting cast. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, and everybody says, I, I hear this story all the time, of course, man, uh, that these teams win championships with the Golden State or the Los Angeles when Phil Jackson was play, coaching there and everything, and they say, oh, man, anybody can coach those guys. They're, those coaches aren't all that good. Look at the players he had to play. If you win a championship, you got to have good players. You know, you can't play a bad team and win a championship. The coach certainly does make a difference, I think. But, you know, if you win championships, you're going to have good players. And you're right, LeBron James did. He goes to Miami and surrounds himself with some little bit better players and wins the championship. Of course, he won it in Cleveland a couple of years ago with his. But then I go back to the fact is I think some of those guys are probably better basketball players than what maybe they get credit for because LeBron James is the star and all the attention is built on him and he's out there doing everything himself, not everything, but a lot by himself. And a lot of times I see the game where everybody spreads out, LeBron plays one-on-one, everybody stands and looks instead of, 
you know, getting involved in what's going on. Mm. But anyway, uh, I, I just think, you know, when, how do you compare uh, teams, people that played in the 60s to people that play in now, and what is your criteria? Is it scoring? Is it number of championships? What is your criteria to determine who's the best? I think they're all good. I think not they're all good, but the ones we've mentioned, and it's hard to compare. All right, Coach, so you're picking sides, and okay. we go to the 90s. So would you take MJ or you take LeBron? Oh, I think Michael Jordan. I, I, I really think Michael Jordan was super. And, again, you can but you can have the argument. Well, he was surrounded by Dennis Rodman and Rod, Scottie Pippen. He had Phil Jackson as his coach and all that kind of stuff. That's true. But Michael Jordan was such a com- competitor. I mean, he would fight and scrap you and claw you. He played great defense, one of the best defensive players to play in the NBA, and he could shoot the basketball. And he just elevated, I think, his team to another level. And uh, – I, I, I like him. I like the, the way he played, his style of play. Even though, you know, again, I'm, I'm not saying that LeBron James is not one of the best. I'm just saying that we've got to look at some of these other guys and not just give the star to LeBron James because he's playing now. The way that the thing unfolded, and, of course, LeBron with this cast in the postgame uh, interview, what did you make of that? Well, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I really think that uh, – LeBron James probably hurt him, hurt his, his hand. Uh, again, you got to keep your emotions intact, and, and, it, and it's tough for some of these guys to do. And I can understand that. And I really think that LeBron probably gave up the ship there after the third game, and they were down 3-0. And we mentioned that earlier. We were talking about you know the press conference. He was you know laughing and having a good time. And I think he just probably had just kind of given up. And then the he, fact that it was going to happen. Yeah, just thinking well, you know, there's no way we're going to come back and win four straight after losing the first three. Uh, but he probably did have a hurt hand. There's no question. I mean, I don't think that. I don't know if it was hurt as bad as he said, but I don't know. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not one to say. But I, yeah, he probably did have his hand. As a coach, the way that thing unfolded after Game One, at the end of Game mm-hmm. One, and of course, an opportunity for the Cavaliers really to steal a game, and maybe it would have changed the complexion or at least extended it the series a little bit longer. For a, a professional athlete to have a, basically a brain fart like J.R. Smith had. Well, that was tough. And, you know, that, that should not have happened. I mean, you've just got to know the score of the game. Uh, I know you can get confused sometimes. And, uh, you know, you think it's, it's a one-point game and it's tied or, or vice, you know, whatever the situation is. And you can get confused a little bit about that. And obviously he was. But, you know, at that point in time, you're lining up for a free throw. You know, you've got to look at the scoreboards. You've got to see what the score is. You've got to see what your time is. That's just something you, you know, that's just what you do. And for him to have done that, it just, and it did. It, it was an opportunity for them to possibly have won the game. There's no guarantee, but, you know, he did have an opportunity to get a shot off that could have won the game, and he and he didn't do it. And, of course, they, LeBron James is on the bench saying, did we have a timeout? But I think that the, the coaches probably, when they, and when uh, he gets the rebound, they're not thinking timeout. They're thinking, put this ball back up, you know, shoot the ball. It's not time to call timeout now. But then he doesn't do it, and then it's too late to call timeout. So it was just a misfortunate situation. But, yeah, you're right. I think had, had they won that game, it would have changed the series some. I don't think that Cleveland would have won the series. I think that uh, Golden State probably would have continued to win the series, but at least Cleveland would have won a game or two in there. We'll talk some more uh, hoops in the 8 o'clock hour coming up next. How about a little uh, horse racing? What does this mean with Justify winning the Triple Crown? Our man, Rick Mocklin, joins us after the break. And then at 8 o'clock, the Hall of Famer from Louisiana Tech, Dave Nitz, joins us. We'll take a walk down memory lane with him and Coach Thigpen. The Morning Drive is back after this. 
Jack, I got goosebumps over here. How, how good a call was that? That was awesome. Wow. Justify, of course, winning a triple crown. And, of course, our race horsing expert, one of our favorite guests, joins us on the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline, that being Rick Macklin. Rick, how you doing this morning, bud? Aaron, doing great. Doing great. Glad to be on with you and Coach Jack this morning to talk a little horse racing because as Larry Colmas, who is the announcer for the NBC Triple Crown coverage, said, Justify is now immortal. And as you had mentioned that the race call gave you goosebumps. Larry Colmas is now the premier race caller in the country. He, of course, took over the Triple Crown calling duties for Tom Durkin, who had decided he it was time for him to retire. But it's got to be an unbelievable honor to call a race like that and to be able to uh, witness in person and describe what a horse like Justify is doing. And Larry Comas is actually called the last two Triple Crown winners, of course, American Pharaoh and now Justify. So uh, horse racing uh, has seen some really good things happen in the last couple of years. Uh, and from a guy that's done a lot of track announcing yourself, uh, Larry Comas, he certainly hit that one out of the ballpark, even if he had a line or two that was probably prepared for that. That was incredible. Well, you know, he probably did script it, but i tell you what I did learn. When I was announcing, I actually went to Gulfstream Park to spend a day with Tom Durkin, who at that time was my favorite announcer ever. And Tom showed me a notebook that he would use, and he had little two, three, four-word descriptions of things. And he would look at a race, and he would try and determine how he thought the race would set up, which it always doesn't go that way. But he would pick out certain terminology to use for certain horses. So I learned that that was okay to do that because this at the time was the premier race caller in the country, and he showed me how he picked things. Because, you know, you, you hope that you can call some of the best lines ever, but sometimes without thinking about it, you'll miss saying something that is really good or um, you, you just you say the wrong thing because sometimes things come out that you don't want to really say. But, yeah, it was probably scripted, and, and you know, as we mentioned, Larry Comas did an unbelievable job. All right, Rick, uh, big picture, and I think we had this discussion when American Pharaoh won, of course, the Triple Crown. How does horse racing capitalize on this? Well, this is good for horse racing in a sense that it increased uh, interest in, in horse racing, of course, as, as Justified was coming up to the Triple Crown. You've got the thing that we need to figure out what to do, Aaron, is when you get people to come to the racetrack for the first time for whatever reason, this being a, a possible Triple Crown winner on Belmont Day or we need to figure out how to keep them coming back because people only come come out for the big races and then it's like okay we'll wait till next year till Kentucky Derby comes around again we've got to figure out how to keep them there i know Louisiana Downs had a great day on Belmont Day David Heitzman is a good friend of mine and he's the racing secretary there and we talked about it and he told me about how big a crowd and how the interest was but after it's over, it's like it goes back to like it was. So marketing departments of racetracks have to figure out how do you keep that interest once it's built to that point. 
So this is something obviously we haven't come up with yet. Well, the 13th time there's been a Triple Crown winner, but of course it just happened a few years ago with American Pharaoh. Does it lose a little bit of its luster, the fact that it just happened a few years ago? You know, I don't think it does because good horses generate a lot of interest. American Pharaoh was a great horse, and he, uh, of course, made a lot of fans justify what he accomplished, Aaron, in a short, short time, having his first race in mid-February and by the beginning of June being an undefeated Triple Crown. This horse accomplished so much in such a short time that, yeah, I think the description of him being immortal kind of fits. This horse is, was not supposed to be able to do this, was not supposed to be able to accomplish that. And if you think back to the Kentucky Derby on the NBC coverage when Randy Moss, Jerry Bailey, and Mike Tirico were kind of analyzing the race, Randy Moss and Jerry Bailey pointed out that there were a number of horses in the Kentucky Derby that would have been favored over the last couple of years in the Kentucky Derby because it was that balanced a field. And I do think that Justify made it look easy. He made it look like it was not a very, very big deal to, to win the Triple Crown. But the way he did it was amazing. We go back to the Preakness. Any other horse gets beat in the Preakness. He, did, you know, he managed to win and not be 100%. Go back to the Derby again. Day after the Derby, he comes out the stall. He's kind of having a little trouble with a back leg. They say it's a bruise. They get it taken care of. They didn't breathe him or, or, time, or timed workout before the Preakness. He comes out, he wins. People say, oh, he was stopping. He was going to get caught if it goes longer. No, I don't think that was the case. Then, as I mentioned in some of the stuff that I wrote on Facebook, you get to watch everything that a horse does every day. You get to watch him train because of social media. This horse breezed twice between the Preakness and the Belmont. He did it easy. He looked fantastic. So you cannot take away from him winning the Triple Crown because he did it so easy. He is just a superior horse. And I've said this once, and I'm going to say it again. I don't think we've seen the best in Justified. Now, when he runs in the Breeders' Cup Classic and he's going to face older horses, that's going to be a true test, but I still think that he is one of the best that we've ever had the opportunity to see. All right. There was a little controversy, though. The stable might have uh, justify restoring hope. Uh, what do you think that factored in, and do you think there were some, some shenanigans involved? I don't think there were any shenanigans involved. I know Florent Giroux personally. I know the type of rider he is. I know how competitive he is. Um, I think Restoring Hope was trying to show more speed than they expected. And I know they didn't want to be head up with Justify. Of course, that would be stable mates kind of going at each other's throat latch. They didn't want that. So what I think is Florentio Rue was trying to take this horse back. And when he was trying to take him back off the pace, he was a little rank. And he was just hard to control. And when you're going into a turn... Sometimes horses will lean in. Sometimes they'll lean out. I don't think there was any malice at all with that or in that ride. I think it was just a scenario that developed that they didn't want to develop and were trying to do their best to kind of take him off. Now, 
You know, the guy who is claiming that it was intentional, Mike Rapoli, the guy is a good owner. He's got a lot of good horses. He's had a lot of success in the business. But during the NBC interview with, again, Randy Moss and Jerry Bailey, he told them that Noble Indy was going to be in front of Justify. And the reaction, my reaction, was the same as Jerry Bailey and Randy Moss's reaction. It was like, Mike, you're delusional. There's no way that this horse is going to be in front of Justify. But he was convinced that he could do it. So being the type of owner that he is, Noble Indy not being on the lead, well, it had to be somebody else's fault that he wasn't on the lead. So I do not think that there was any malice intended or anything, um, any cheating or anything like that. No, and, and you cannot let that take away from what Justify accomplished. He was he was in front of that, didn't know that was going on. He just took care of business that day. couple of final horse racing questions. Uh, you mentioned now Justify should be considered one of the, the greatest ever, 13 Triple Crown winners. So uh, as you kind of do the rankings in your head, uh, top five now? Oh, man, I would I would think so. You know, a lot of the previous Triple Crown winners, Aaron, I don't. I didn't get to see them run or see them win. I go back to Secretariat. I was a junior in high school, and Secretariat. I remember where I was and who I was with on the day of the Belmont, watching that race. And of course, Secretariat. I consider him to be the best horse that I've ever seen. Now, Justify, man, I tell you, he's he's right up there. He's right to be because again. What he accomplished in such a short time is has never been done before. And now the rule of thumb with these horses is you stretch their races out. Good horses run every 30, 45 days. They do not run close together. Now, of course, he had to do that because of the Triple Crown, the way it's been laid out since it's begun. Um, but what he accomplished in a short time is just unimaginable. I don't think just any horse can do that so yeah you have to rank him up with in the top five i, I would think um rick and then again uh, the, with, with go ahead i was just gonna say the, the clock doesn't lie can you explain after all these years how secretary still owns what two of those uh three records man you know secretariat was was just an unbelievable horse we had never had a horse that had come along that actually was bigger than Secretariat until Justify came along. He was bigger than Secretariat. Um, he traveled as smoothly as Secretariat did. I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. I don't know if track surfaces had anything to do with it at that time or now at the times not being comparable to the way he ran, but Secretariat, I, I remember Chick Anderson's call in the Belmont that he was moving like a tremendous machine. And that, of course, was what people thought Secretariat was. He was a finely tuned machine who just didn't miss a beat at anything he did. It was amazing. And those records, those track records that he set, I don't think they're ever going to be touched by any, any of these horses here anymore. But it's it's hard to explain. I just don't know what caused him to to be that good. But uh, these these horses that are coming behind him are good horses, but they just can't compare time wise. 
Rick Mocklin, a man of many interests and, of course, many talents, uh, has done a lot of things throughout his career, including being involved with pro wrestling. You got a, yes. a favorite story you want to share with us today? Oh, I tell you what. I was thinking about this the other day when uh, my broadcast partner, when we did TV here in New Orleans, was Terry Funk. And, of course, he was called Tuxedo Terry Funk. He would come out in a tuxedo, and he'd have his uh, pants tucked into his wrestling boots. And he was just an unbelievable character to work with. And we were doing a show, and this, of course, was not in the script. They had like a little bit of a free-for-all breakout outside of the ring. And we were working for Colonel Buck Robley, who is well-known in the Shreveport area and Ruston area. And this free-for-all breaks out, and Terry Funk looks at me, and he goes, come on, let's go join in. And I said, Terry, I'm not going to do that. He goes, come on, man, I'm a has-been, and I'm going to do it. I said, Terry, I was and never was, and I'm sure not going out there and getting anything like that. But it, I could go on and on with some of the characters of how they were. And uh, inside and outside of the ring, some of the guys were – they kind of were in character all the time, and some were just the nicest guys in the world. And some personalities not so nice, but it was fun. I did it for two years, and I had more fun doing that than probably anything I've ever done. It was, there was never a dull moment with those guys. You're a musician, a songwriter now. Uh, what, what, what's going on? Where can we see you at, and do you ever plan to be back up here in North Louisiana? Well, I'd love to be back up at North Louisiana. I played a couple of times at the El Dorado Casino, and I'd love to be back up there. But uh, this week, just to give you an example, there is a festival in Metairie, Louisiana, called the Harbor Fest, which benefits the St. Michael's Special School. This is the third annual Harbor Fest, and we close out the festival tomorrow night, playing from 6 to 10. And... Um, I am just so happy at the level that my band has gotten to over the last three years. I have some fantastic musicians that play with me. Uh, we have a website. It's Rick Mocklin, M-O-C-K-L-I-N, music.com. And it has- Thanks for listening to the best of The Morning Drive with Dietrich and White. To listen live every day, tune in at ESPN977.com or subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.